Hey everybody, welcome to Elder Speak, the official podcast of ElderGeek.com. You're listening to issue number 48. With me, as always, I've got Gavin from the news. Hey everybody. And uh, Mots is also joining us again this week. Um, hi, Mots. Hey, for no special reason. For <laughs> we, don't, we don't need a reason for you to be here, Mots. You're your yeah. own reason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in case I forgot to do my own introduction, I'm actually Randy. Um, we're actually going to be burning through the news today, and uh, Gavin has uh, dug us up a ton of crap to talk oh, about. Oh, yeah, we've got a ton of shit to go through. It's been a couple weeks. We're all backed up here, so bear with us. We're going to blaze through. We're going to lump a lot of stuff together, starting with our major big game announcements collaboration piece that we're going to talk about here. We've had a lot of new games announced, some expected, some not, and oddly enough, there are three uh, games with the title uh, 3 in them, and two games with the title 2 in them, or two that are just a sequel. So let's start out real quick here. Capcom had, Capcom had its captivated uh, rent recently, and among those games revealed, we have Okamiden, the sequel to 2006 Much Beloved Okami. It is, uh, we already knew pretty much a lot about it. It's the DS-specific um, sequel that features Chibiatsu, which is a um, cute little version of Amaratsu from the original Okami. We have Bionic Commando, Bionic Commando Rearmed 2, the most uh, redundant title I've heard in a while, but still it was a very awesome kind of uh, HD remake of the original Bionic Commando, so we're going to expect a lot more of that. And I called it a couple days before it came out, and major squeeze all around the internet, Marvel vs. Capcom 3, Fate of Two Worlds. So let, let's start with that little chunk there of Capcom's 2011-2010 lineup. We happy, we sad, we we expected. What what do you guys think? Uh, I liked it mostly. I just I, one thing I don't understand why they chose to do a Bionic Commander rearmed too. Uh, it just the the whole beauty of the first one was that it was you know a reimagining or not even that just a re redesigning of of Bionic Commando and mm-hmm. and this one is just going to be a next another Bionic Commando I guess. So, um, we're not sh- we're not sure. It could be another remake of um, Bionic Commando 2. Was there a Bionic Commando 2? I'm not familiar. With I don't the think theory. there was. No, there there wasn't. It was it was just one of those games that everybody owned or at least everybody really loved, but they never they never made a sequel to it. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, they've made new sequels for Mega Man after you know how long, so I can trust them with this, even though I'm not a big fan of the of the series. Randy, what do you think on Bionic Commando? I I really like it. I. It's one of those games that I thought was perfect all around back in the NES days. Um, as perfect as a NES game could get. And, um, you know, I'm kind of excited about more more Bionic Commando. As far as, uh, you know, the other titles go, um, I probably don't give a crap about Okami, um, which I know is a huge, huge sin, but um, just not my, my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mots, you want Okami? You a fan? You never. Uh, I like Okami. I like Okami on the surface for being sort of like a sort of like Zelda. Uh, it it doesn't appeal to me very much in in, in you know with the whole painting thing and mm-hmm. and and the basic presentation, uh, the basic concept of the wolf and all that. Mm-hmm. That part, I mean, I could do without. I think it's it's beautiful, but it's really just you know cosmetic. It, it doesn't seem to serve any specific purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I could, you know, I could go for another one. I'm just hoping the, um, the stylus input is much better than the Wiimote input they had on the Akami version on the Wii, which was, um, not good. And that's the whole reason that we wanted it on the Wii in the first place. So, yeah, hopefully Nintendo can't disappoint this time. But for me, the major announcement, which I'm always happy about being an old arcade hand, 
is Marvel vs. Capcom 3, one of the most desired sequels in the history of the industry. I am so ecstatic. We don't even know characters yet, and I'm I'm already trying to pre-order the damn thing. Do you guys have any thoughts on it? <laughs> uh, I, I really uh, respect, uh, I should say, uh, the 2D, 2D fighting games, just because they've made it this far and they're still going strong with Street Fighter uh, 4 and everything, but I'm more of a 3D fighter kind of guy. I, I really like Tekken and and and, uh, and Soul Calibur and that kind of stuff, so this isn't exactly my cup of tea, but I really do uh, like where it's going. Um, I would like it if uh, if it was downloadable through, you know, through either PS3 or Xbox 360. It seems as though this is the kind of game that you wouldn't need a whole cartridge for, you know? Well, games come on this now, Randy. <laughs> uh, yes, well, uh, you know, com- our game consoles also have hard drives on them, and, and you know, considering the size of these as 2D fighters compared to, say, like, you know, um, an action game or, or a role-playing game, they don't need that much storage space. You know, you've got, like, 12 different environments, you know, the characters, their moves, and the soundtracks, and that takes up, like, nothing. So, uh, you know, fighters and stuff, I totally think we are, should be downloadable. Especially since, you know, if you can download them, then they'd be all the easier to play online with your friends. If you have friends online. good points. I don't know. I <laughs> think I think the amount of of time and work they put into tweaking the, 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 you know, balance of these games, that's really where all the major development time, you know, goes mm-hmm. down for these games. I think they used, you know... Uh, 70% or something, I think, was the stat- uh, statistics that they said they used for Soul Calibur 4 on just balancing the different characters. And, uh, and you know, that warrants a full price tag, and you can't really get away with doing a full price tag on a downloadable game these days. You don't think? At least not yet. Oh, I think you can. I mean, you could on PC, on Steam and stuff, and I guess you could mm-hmm. if you did it through uh, Xbox's um, Games on Demand service. But the only games that are on the Games on Demand service are retail games that are already hard copies. So, uh, yeah, I, I see why they choose to do this stuff uh, retail and at full price. Hmm. Okay. I mean, I'm still saying and full we, price. Yeah. I would just like it downloadable. Yeah. Mm. And most likely we're going to see some downloadable iteration of it. We don't really have a lot of... Uh, confirmed details on either Marvel vs. Capcom 3 or Bionic Commando Rearm, so we're just going on expectations here. But either way, we're happy to see them coming out. And we got a couple more games coming out that uh, we pretty much knew about, but weren't actually confirmed. Gears 3 had a fun little adventure where it was pretty much assured that it was going to come out, and then the day before it was supposed to be discussed on Jimmy Fallon, or the day it was supposed to be discussed on Jimmy Fallon, it was accidentally released by Xbox Live Banner. And then, of course, the Monday after that, it was announced officially on Jimmy Fallon with a cool Ashes to Ashes trailer that pretty much everyone on the Internet has seen now. And, of course, it has now been confirmed in shiny for an April 2011 release, as we have, as we have anticipated. Also, we have Fear 3, the um, much-beloved paranormal Alma shooter. And uh, this time <laughs> around, we have... Com- the Alma shooter. I just like that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the Alma <laughs> Okay. You have to repeat that, Randy. I'm sorry. It just seems as though like you would run around shooting Almas in an Alma shooter. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Gavin got that one. <laughs> That's no, okay. I, I, I got it. I'm, nah. Okay. I'm going to just move on there. 
Um, because in the Alma shooter, we have the um, con- the confirmed uh, collaboration between the game developers and horror director extraordinaire John Carpenter and writer Steve Niles. So pretty nifty on that end. Do you guys have any thoughts beyond making fun I, I of think... how I say things with Fear 3? No, 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 no. I was, I was not making fun. I was not making fun. It was just... Uh... You're, it was oddly precise calling it an Alma shooter, you know? Anyway. But uh, as far as Fear 3 goes, yeah, I'm, I'm totally psyched. I, I'm more psyched for Fear 3 than I am for uh, Gears of War 3. Definitely. I think uh, beyond the fact that we have these Hollywood writers and, and uh, directors, I think uh, the, the, the thing that got re- me really excited was that you would be co- you know, co- collaborating, I guess, or, or you know, Cooperating with uh, Pax and Patel, uh, which is, well, you know, in the first game, the basic uh, main bad guy, and uh, and uh, you know, you know, sort of defending Alma from from everyone else sounds like an intriguing premise to me. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I'm also I loved Gears of War two. I wasn't a huge, huge fan of Gears one, but you know, Gears three, um, Cliffy's gonna have to throw out something pretty impressive for me to to, I don't know. To be really, really pleased with it, I guess. But so you mean beyond meat phys- physics? Yeah, beyond meat physics and stuff like that. I, I think, I don't know. I don't think he's going to disappoint. I think he's definitely going to satisfy everybody that's out there. But you know, I, I will just be really, really happy to see if Gears of War three is as a big of an improvement as Gears of War two was over one. Hmm. Does that make sense? I. I don't know. I, I sort of want them to hold off on Gears of War three a little bit and then um, release it with uh, the Unreal Engine four. Too late. It's coming. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I guess we need to have a Gears Gears uh, four then. Sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Gavin? Are you a, are you a Gears fan? I don't give a shit about most shooters, so I'm I'm kind of on the edge for these. I am not really interested. No offense. Not oh. even to fear. So hey, not um, not nothing against the game. They're very well designed, very well executed. It ain't my bag. That's fine. Hey, there's yep. nothing wrong with that, man. Yep. But you know what is my bag, guys? Do you know what it is? No. Christian video games. Christian they are video- hilarious. <laughs> and apparently, Walmart is getting in on the Christian games market. Hell, I didn't even know it existed, but apparently, Walmart's going to make it so. They are, of course, one of the biggest retailers, if not the biggest retailers on the planet when it comes to brick and mortar. And in terms of the video games, they're a huge chunk of the market. And apparently, they're going to start out uh, selling religious games within separate uh, small markets and seeing their profitability profitability range. And if it exceeds a certain point, they'll branch out. And we're going to start, start seeing Christian game sections at um, possibly every single Walmart, depending on how they do. So this, of course, means the left-behind games and other Christian games. I'm not sure I can find anyone <laughs> on the site or in the analyst community that could give me a, a Christian game that's beyond, you know, a guy working with a, in the indie circuit on Xbox Live. Uh, what, what do you guys think? Billy Graham's Bob yeah. Blasters, baby. I'm totally fine with this. <laughs> if they want to, ex- you know, I, w- I was about to say exploit, but that sounds wrong. Uh, if they want to, uh, you know... Uh, Take advantage of the. Uh, that sounds strong as well. If they want to use the Christian <laughs> Christian market uh, and make some money, then yeah, sure. Uh, but I fear that you know, even though we are okay with this and say yeah, fine, 
uh, I fear that you know families shopping shopping at Walmart will then get pissed in a few years when we have you know an atheist game or a Muslim game or whatever. So uh, this opens up a whole new ton of bricks, but uh, I, I'm welcome to it. I I'm I'm fine with the whole Christian game things. So, you know, Christian gaming's been around since you know gaming has been around. Um, my my problem is that it's like Walmart that's doing it. Um, Walmart's kind of evil for the most part, and uh, you know Walmart. Not only do they mandate that you sell um, music that's edited and stuff like that, you know, like you you can't sell the explicit version of of songs and stuff in stores, but you know they also edit books and everything. There's there's the Walmart version of certain books and everything. I, I'm hoping that this kind of thing does not move to gaming. I could be. I could be jumping the gun a little bit here, but uh, you know, my my just bigger fear is that Walmart is going to be dipping its beak into the into gaming more than it needs to. Well, I don't see why. I mean, they already do sell all the major games. I mean, they they sell R-rated games. So, I mean, would would them starting to sell Christian games change their you know policy on games? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I'm hoping that this doesn't have you know get them more involved in it and want them to change policy in games. Mm. It is it is true, Randy does have a point there. Um, the, uh, the Christian market has a way of, once it gets its uh, claws into a specific market, uh, in terms of a profitability range, being able to sort of branch out and try to control the other aspects of that industry. I don't think it's going to happen with games. I can't see them being a profitable market within this case. Again, it's power of Walmart, so I've always underestimated them. Um, but I really want to see an atheist game. Now that Monster brings it up, I have no idea <laughs> yeah. how you would make an atheist I, I, game. I, I, what I think means. we have a few, actually. I think, uh, you know, Assassin's Creed for one, and others. <laughs> I would I would actually say that. I would say that Assassin's Creed's an atheist game. Yeah. It's definitely There's made. actually been a lot. They say in but, Assassin's Creed that it's made by a bunch of people of different uh, beliefs and, and, uh, and uh, origins. Uh but um, I'm guessing the lead designers, uh, you know, uh, skew towards the secular. So, <laughs> yeah. Who knows? But there's there's an argument that every single game in the world, no matter what its motif, is atheist because the control of the world is at you. It's not based on any sort of ethereal premise. You have the absolute control over it. It's metaphorically you being able to control your own life without any sort of outside external need. So, an argument, the um, people, you could argue that the very act of gaming is an atheist practice. I don't uh, necessarily I, agree with that with agree that fully, but it's an interesting thought. Yeah. It's an interesting thought, I just don't see the logic in it. Uh, but, but you know, sure. let's not get into ideologies here. Um, I think we oh, would alienate a bunch of readers. I would just like to mention, I would just, I would just like to mention that, uh, you know, if there's one, uh, you know, massive chain uh, in the world uh, that could make Christian games you know uh, big, then it's Walmart but mm. I don't I don't know if gamers and Christian gamers are more I don't, I, I think gamers when they, when they select a game to play they select it as a gamer and not as a Christian uh, and, mm. and you know uh, the same thing with uh, the other way around when you go and pick up whatever you know, philosoph- uh, philosophical book or whatever, or, or the Bible. You don't you don't pick it up as a gamer. You pick it up as a you know mm. uh, thinker or non-thinker, depending on your viewpoints. Jeez. 
God. All right, moving on. Next did, item. Didn't did it, did it Moss just say we shouldn't talk about it anymore for fear of isolation? Bye, everybody. I just had to slip that in. <laughs> moving okay. on. For the three people still on our site regularly, let's uh, let's um, <laughs> let's have a nice little uh, quick news item. Not much to talk about it. Just a sort of announcement and a thumbs up to the Wii and Netflix. Who? Surprise, surprise, the Wii is actually getting a Netflix subscription device similar to the PS3 where you have a streamable disc that you put in, update via your computer, and you can watch um, stream live movies on your Wii. So rock on. Yeah, good for them. That's great. So everyone got it. So now I'm pretty sure Netflix is going to try and get it on the portable systems, which should be fun. I doubt it's going to work, but they've done everything else. Didn't they mention when they when they announced this for the Wii and the PlayStation 3, didn't they say that this was a temporary thing, that, uh, you know, coming fall or something, they would go away from the discs and actually actually launch a full-scale service on the systems? Um, I think that's still set up for the PS3. I don't know if it's set up for the Wii at all, though. We have I mean, no information for, on the Wii in that regard. Because I don't see, you know, other than contracts with Microsoft, I don't see why you couldn't do a channel on the Wii and a basic... Uh, you know, uh, cross media bar and selection on the on the PS3. For the Wii, it might be a, a software size issue. Um, mm-hmm. For PS3, I think it's just going to be a firmware thing. You know, they yeah. they just got to do it. Yeah. Nice. It, well, regardless, if you're a movie fan, it's a nice future to have a video game console in. It is. Indeed. And, and on a side note, uh, Netflix has. You know, a lot of people have been complaining about the the selection that Netflix has. Um, that's streamable, and I think they've actually improved what they're they have streamable quite a bit in the past mm. couple of weeks. Mm. Um, sure, I haven't actually updated my streamable queue because I already have 230 movies to go through, but <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Have any uh, you got, uh, have either of you guys played XCOM? No, XCOM, no, no. You're no. both terrible, terrible people. I know. Um, one of the old, one of the awesome old school PC RTSs was XCOM, a nice little sci-fi oriented um, real-time strategy game, and very much like Fallout and all those awesome old PC games. Modern developers are bringing them back and bringing them back as so, sort of quasi shooters. This time it's 2K, of course, um, 2K Marin specifically. Those behind Bioshock 2 are bringing back the XCOM franchise as a new shooter oriented experience. Um, very Half-Life exquisite science fiction themes is going to be taking first-person perspective, and it looks like it's going to have some sort of strategy element, but also it's going to be integrating a new shooter element into it. But since none of you guys have played it, I don't know what <laughs> you're going to have to say about it, you complete and utter losers. Uh, I'm going to say, don't we have enough of this? Don't we have enough first-person shooters? I love first-person games, but do they all have to be shooters? Can't we have more Mirror's Edge games, more Oblivions, that kind of thing? Do we have to have guns uh, and, you know, the first-person genre everywhere? Apparently, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, yes. Um, I'm with you, Mats. I I would like to see more non-shooter stuff you know, done in first person. And and in fact, now that you mentioned Oblivion, I'll probably install it and start playing it again. Good job. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. Yeah. So if I were to ask you guys, what is the second worst game to make a video, uh, second work mar- uh, market to make a video game for, aside from the religious community, what would you say? <laughs> Dogs. No, <Multi-people>. actually, <laughs> even worse than those would be the deficit-minded. And it turns out that Microsoft is going to attempt to make a game based on deficit reduction if you can believe that. Um, the uh, Steve Ballmer of Microsoft was approached by Erskine Bowles, 
who is co-chair of President Obama's fiscal commission, and with the idea of creating a game in which the uh, the core mechanic is education and practical observation on de- the deficit and how to reduce it and how it works. So sort of pol- um, political tutorial for gamers and, of course, the lar- population at large. So I'm not exactly sure how we can turn this around profit-wise, but it's an interesting development at the very least. I don't think it's meant to be profitable. I think it's meant to be educational, and it's. I think well, that's it's probably. Naturally, but I think it's probably going to be free. Um, mm. But uh, uh, it reminds me of. Uh, do you guys have you heard of the Institute for the Future? No. They make a bunch of these kinds of games. They make games where you. Uh, it's basically browser-based games where you have to, uh, for example, uh, figure out how to live your life. Um, uh, and and help the environment, for example, and uh, you know you get uh, statistics and you get all these kinds of of um, reports and uh, and all that stuff, you know, detailing the effect of different activities on the environment, on global warming and stuff like that. It really reminds me of that kind of thing, and uh, you know, it's interesting. They're uh, they're all these kind of futuristic ideas designed to not only help um, people understand the world around them, but to further the idea that video games can be um, can be good uh, for humanity and you know good for the future and good for the uh, society, okay. so I, I think it's interesting. Yeah, all right, sounds good. My my only my only thought about this is if they're making a video game where you can eventually sort of win at solving the you know the deficit. Why, why don't they just solve the deficit instead of, <laughs> you know, if they know the answer to the to how to solve it, just do it. But uh, the thing, the thing with the the Institute for the Future games is that they don't actually let you win. It's it's more of a way for you to suggest <laughs> solutions to them, so they could use those solutions. You know, it's a it's a mass compiling of data basically and ideas. Gotcha. I okay. think this is going to be something like that. Actually, Randy, what I think this is, it's sort of a paradox within software in which the basic tenets of being able to reduce a deficit without actually um, the developers knowing how is put into the game. And those able to solve the deficit will be brought into a secret society, uh, (laughs) the last Starfighter-esque, and then they will eventually reduce the deficit for us. Dude, you win the the internet. You win the internets today for mentioning the last Starfighter. I think that's what's going to happen. I think this is what it is. So everyone that you know wants to get a good government job, study up on this game and figure out how to resolve the deficit because this is your <laughs> ticket in, man. This is in. <laughs> but we're talking about in, so let's talk about out. Specifically, PlayStation Room is out. Now, you remember, we're probably the only ones that actually talked about it when it was announced, but we all know about PlayStation Home. We are eventually going to get PlayStation Room for the PSP, a very home-esque avatar, Second Life-based sort of community. And, of course, it never actually happened, and it is, has been officially canceled. Um, the closed After, beta uh, in Japan... Yeah. yeah. The, the, clo- the closed beta in Japan didn't do so well, and Sony, Sony like, thanked everybody and said, we're going to take this and use it at home, but there's no way that the room is going to come for PSP. Yeah, I just don't see where they went with this idea. It's, it's cool for the PlayStation 3 with home, uh, because you constantly have it... Most people constantly have it hooked up to the Internet. I guess not most people, but, you know, you have the ability. With PSP, yeah. there are times where you just can't access uh, the Internet. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have 3G, it doesn't have Edge, it just has Wi-Fi, and, and that's a real problem. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> you all know Randy my thoughts is, on home. 
Yeah. Randy doesn't care. Oh, un- uncaring Randy is uncaring. That's right. <laughs> well, hey. <laughs> it could have been nice, but it's gone. So <laughs> Actually, we never really got any uh, even a screenshot for it, so I'm not really counting as a, as much of a loss. No. I saw a buddy of mine on my, my friends list the other day that was in home. I almost sent them a message saying, why are you in home? <laughs> What's wrong with you? Do you want to do, do you play Marvel vs. Capcom 2? Are you bored? Do you want to do something cool? I still believe in you, son. I still believe in home. Uh, you need to hire me to make it worthwhile for everyone else, but I believe in you still. But... Let's move into something that we wanted to believe in and where I, we could actually be disappointed here. Red Steel 2 with the new Motion Plus. It is the game that we all wanted on our Wii, and only 50,000 people in the United States bought it in its first week. Ouch. Yep. I, I'm guilty of that as, as everybody else. I, it's been on my queue from Gamefly from, since well before it was released. Um, you know, we couldn't we couldn't get a, re, a uh, review copy of the game, and uh, it's still relatively unavailable on GameFly. So it's as far as rentals go, it seems as though it's kicking butt. You know, but rentals don't pay the bills. Mm. No, and unfortunately, we don't seem to have some sort of comparative charting of video game rentals as in the movie business and yeah. DVDs. So that would be nice. I wish uh, MPD would get on that, um, or we would just figure out exactly if it's already out there, but this is sad, considering this is the Wii game that everyone's been bitching about, that's they've been what they wanted, and it just doesn't seem like the hardcore community is showing up when these games yeah. are released. But, I mean, it's it's not over. I mean, Ubisoft made the point that, uh, you know, third-party games on the Wii, especially third-party games like this, perhaps don't sell as quickly as games on the 360 and PS3. They're sort of a slow-moving product. Uh, but they do move still. They're, 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 you know, they have a long shelf life uh, because the Wii is just mm-hmm. so phenomenally successful. Uh, and also, I, I think you know this is the first week, and it doesn't take into account a lot of retailers. Uh, it doesn't take into account uh, the rest of the world. Uh, I expect this sold really well in Japan, for example. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I think it's also a case of. The, uh, you know, the Wii's been out for a little while now, as, as has the 360 and the PS3. And, and most people who are, who are big time gamers who own Wii's and own 360's and stuff, I think at this point, if they're gonna be buying their hardcore games, they're gonna be buying it on their quote unquote hardcore consoles. Hmm. You know? Sad, but, but you I, can't, I, but you, but you can't get this on the hardcore consoles. So that's no, but, why but, I thought it, there, no. there are other games that are out available recently on hardcore consoles that people would probably put their money towards. Yeah, but I mean, the, 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 I think you know if you've seen gameplay videos of this, you know the whole hook is you have the close to one to one motion with the sword and all that stuff, and you know I would think that's a big selling point. So I, I'm surprised that it still you know didn't do as well. Yeah, I still want to play it. <laughs> it's yeah. still on my game fly queue. <laughs> Okay, guys. Sad, Sorry. But, you know, it, it could have legs. It could have legs. Yeah. So we'll see if Let's we come see. back with it. A lot of people don't tend to come back to these games on the Wii, which does seem to be a major problem within the uh, within the industry within the um, industry analysts in terms of sales. I mean, they just kind of do. If it doesn't sell the first week, they never come back to re um, reanalyze it. So mm. it could be that it will eventually sell, and we hope it does. That is the bottom line we want to express here. Elder, Elder Geek. These are the kind of games we want to see sell 
on the Wii as opposed to Just Dance or Wii Mini Game Party 68. We really don't want, I mean, these are the kind of games that the system needs in terms of community, you know, strong, uh, strong software lineup from third parties. But we're going to move on here. And we're going to move on to Ubisoft, uh, who often make our, uh, often make our, uh, our news feed here. This time they're announcing that what they have been doing for their PC games, all digital manuals are coming to PS3 and Xbox 360. That means no paper, uh, no paper collections in your DVD case, and it's all going to be digital. And it's going to contain probably even more information on basic tutorials and basic information about the game. They said that doing this with all of their releases will save the world 13 trees a year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but trees, you know, every tree is cool. Every tree, is, every every saved tree is a nice thing. The first game that you're going to see doing this is Sean White Skateboarding, which is coming out later this year. And again, they've already been doing this with their PC titles, which also include a kind of recycled DVD case. So. We'll, we'll even be seeing that on the console in the future. You guys green? You guys give a crap? I, I think it's a great idea, and and I think with video games, I think we've we've moved beyond just reading. You know, this button does this, this button does that. I think gamers need a more interactive demonstration on how to do shit, especially on Sean White and and uh, skate games. <laughs> so I think it's a good game to start with, and I think it's a great idea. I also think you know manuals currently are boring. Uh, they, the the sign is you know it's mostly black and white and it's really you know simplistic. I think if if you made it digital, you could make it you know more appealing to the eyes and and maybe you know encourage people to read them more because there is some interesting character backstories and stuff like that in the manuals that you don't get in the, in the game itself. For example, with, with uh, Splinter Cell Conviction. Um, what I wonder is what are they going to put you know in the little slot where they usually have the manuals now. They have to have something that's going to be, you know, boring. Yeah, it'll they'll just leave it empty, I'm sure. Oh, you know, they usually have like um, advertisements or collections or something, and it's a handy, you know, receipt holder. That's where I put all my receipts when I buy my games. It's a really good way yeah. to keep track of purchases. That's a good idea. Which everyone said, yeah, I know. I do as well. Thank you, Randy. No, I mean, huh. see, moths, common sense, right here. Randy, I, you yeah. need to get more common sense. I throw my mind. receipts away because I'm a dumbass. See, when I worked at uh, the Evil Empire, I used to put customers' receipts <laughs> in, in those slots just to make it easier for them. Ah, look at you, yeah. Mr. Conscientious yeah. Store Guy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a good way. So if you guys feel like your DVD cases are empty once you know this, this digital mo- uh, manual thing gets off and more people start doing it, use it as receipt storage or just have a little free extra space. That's always nice. But Ubisoft's doing it, and we're... Pretty proud to see it happen, and we're interested to see where it goes. As long as, as long as they still put effort into the manuals themselves, instead of just literally like having a digital thing where you can click a button and then it just like zooms into a black and white stream text. Hopefully, it's more than that, but you know, I'm pretty sure it's going to be. But let's move on to 7-Eleven. It's a company we don't really talk a lot about here on Elder Geek. Um, we're not really slippery people, but um, if we're stranded in downtown at 11 o'clock at night and we we need a video game fix. We walk into 7-Eleven with the crack addicts and get our video games that they have there. Uh, they usually have about the most recent games on sale now, but apparently they're now going to be getting into the used game business, all us GameStop. I don't know exactly where they're going to fit it in the 7-Eleven store, but you can get used games now at 7-Eleven. I, you know, it's it's funny that you say um, that we don't frequent it at that much, but. Elliot goes to 7-Eleven quite a bit. It turns out, he uh, he goes well, there. Elliot's not normal. 
He's no, he's no, not he's a normal. Not. He's not a normal young man, but uh, but no, he's, not. he's he. We still love him dearly, but uh, he does the smart thing. He goes there because a lot of times Seven Eleven, like the silly silly people that they are, they don't know the release date of a lot of these games. They just get them, open them out of the case, and then throw them on the shelves. So he'll get like early copies, you know, in Seven Eleven, just because the stores don't know any better. So yep. a lot of people do that actually. Yeah, I've heard stories about this actually before. Uh, too bad, you know, in my town we don't have one, but uh, we have it in the rest of the Norway and even in Norway. I've heard a lot of stories of people buying games uh, and the like from Seven Eleven, you know, a week early and stuff like that. So it's pretty ph- phenomenal. Yeah, but uh, you know, as far as them selling used games, um, all right, okay, no big deal. And it's twenty dollars or less. Yeah. So yep, if they have new games. $20. If they have new games for that price, then that's amazing because GameStop usually only knocks off five bucks or something. So, yeah, yeah. Ho- hopefully it'll make games. And again, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say hopefully it just makes GameStop rethink their their pricing strategy for their used games. Probably if it happens though. that way. Hopefully, I mean, competition's always uh, is a necessary component here. But judging if we're taking their used DVDs as parameters, which Seven Eleven has been doing for months, if not years now, it's not going to be new games. It's not going to be that efficient. Then again, they could have some sort of renewed energy when tackling the um, the game structure, the uh, the used game structure. Hopefully, but I'm not. I, me personally, I'm saying uh, don't hold your breath. Yeah. Does <clears throat> does uh does um do we know if they are accepting used games as well? They use uh, a service me... uh, called. Um... Let's see, called uh, Game Trading Technologies, uh, huh, which yeah, they've okay. partnered with to to do this, and it's it, it is used games, but I, I I'm I'm guessing they get the used games through this uh, service. So exactly how that you know happens, I'm not sure. So what what I'm yeah. I'm sorry. And in ahead. terms of what seven uh, yeah, in terms of what Randy was asking for, if you can return used games, it, they have some sort of very vague defined parameter saying that they are a leading video game trading services provider focused on valuation procure, uh, procurement, which would mean getting uh, used game refurbishment and redistribution. So whether this means they'll accept incoming games from consumers, it's not exactly sure. And we're not really sure right now. Since 7-Eleven doesn't accept used movies, I'm not sure you're going to be able to do games. Unless, of course, the sales you know just skyrocket with 7-Eleven, then they, of course, they're going to open it for some sort of trading program. But I just don't see it happening right now. Yeah, I was also really more worried about <clears throat> the fact that uh, 7-Eleven would then become just this this mobile pawn shop for people who <laughs> steal video games. I mean, because that's what EB is. I mean, EB they buy a ton of stolen games. They don't know that they're stolen, but you know, people use them as pawn shops all the time. Yeah. It's fences, I should say, not pawn shops. Yes. Sir. Well, either way, look for um, look for a twenty uh, twenty dollar copy of Mirror's Edge next time you're getting a Slurpee. <laughs> but let's move in from a nice cheery location to a military style condition. That if, uh, this is of course referencing a recent um, problem that Microsoft may be having with one of its factories in China. They produce the 360 controllers. Um, this comes from Reuters, of course, the well-respected analyst, saying that the company is currently investing uh, in investigating allegations of poor working conditions. And which includes teenage employees sub- uh, subjected to very long hours and harsh conditions within this Chinese factory. And for the country, that's a pretty usual, comparatively, working structure. So it, this is not all that unlikely. 
So the difference is that the difference is that usually these cases are with uh, you know uh, uh, domestic companies uh, that yes. that then again export. They're not usually with foreign companies. Foreign companies tend, especially American and, and generally, you know, Western European and American countries uh, and companies. I mean, usually holds a pretty high standard for who they. Uh, mm. the, oh, I mean, you know, consumer com- companies obviously holds a pretty high standard for who they they uh, they um, they hire to do this stuff. You know, not compared to Europe uh, and America, but certainly not sweatshop conditions. Well, absolutely, and um, although a lot of companies have been busted on similar kind of uh, similar kind of allegations, although this has been mostly in other countries like Vietnam or Cambodia, so hmm. we're not exactly sure. And again, we're not uh, we we're not in a position to put any blame on Microsoft at this point in time, but this has happened before, and it's it's never nice to see this. Andy, you got you got any thoughts on it? Um, yeah, it's never nice to see it, but at the same time, people. People really don't give a crap. How do I want to say this without sounding like an insensitive asshole? No, I mean, you said it pretty much. I mean, bluntly, but it's true. Not a lot of people give a crap, unless they're in China. Yeah, exactly. Unless they're in China, people normally don't give a crap. And when people are looking to manufacture their goods, they really don't care what the what the work condition is going to be in where they get it manufactured. They're going to be putting out bids to multiple companies, and whoever comes back with the lowest bid is who they're going to be, you know, having, you know, produce their product. And um, if... Microsoft, and I'm not saying that Microsoft is innocent here, but if Microsoft, you know, said to this company saying, hey, uh, we want our controllers made, can you make them cheaper than company B, C, and D, and these people say, yeah, then, you know, of course Microsoft's going to go for that. And the savings get passed on to the consumer. And in the end... Because in 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 Europe, most most Europe countries, uh, European countries, or at least northern Scandinavian, uh, or northern European con- uh, companies have a very strict, uh, most of them have a very strict sort of human rights oriented, uh, oriented uh, unofficial rule where they, where they, you know, uh, visit these factories and, and make sure that their employees basically have decent enough working conditions. Now I'm not saying that, you know, as I said, it, it is certainly still a whole nother, uh, nother, uh, you know, quality of work environment than we have in Europe. I mean, it, it is not the same, but it, it, they still do to some degree care, not because they're humanitarians, but because it, if they, it, if it got out that they were basically working people to almost slavery, then, you know, they would lose a lot of money on marketing and, and promotions. Yeah, in the U.S., it's either you know people, it's either people 100% don't give a crap um, because it's not an American company; it's somebody else's problem. That's the mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, um, or or they bitch that you know that it's not made in America, you know. And um, you know, I guess I fall somewhere in between. You know, I would like mm-hmm. to, I would like more products made more at home, um, but at the same time, I like my products cheap. So, and I'm not saying I'm pro sweatshop, but you know. Also, I mean, there's the argument that uh, a lot of these places with these sweatshops, it really is the only place to work. I mean, without them, there wouldn't be any work work at all. So it is uh, sort of an honest honest wage, I guess. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, that doesn't mean they shouldn't improve the conditions and working hours. Agreed. Agreed. I think that's probably the best way we could put it, though, right? 
I think this yep. is probably the most more uh, more uh, morally discussive episode of Elder Speak. Uh, <laughs> we've had quite a few interesting topics, and hopefully this will actually get people commenting, which you should give us your opinion. We re- we really expect it. Well, what do you say we return to one of our favorite favorite topics, the continuing just whatever you want to call it between Infinity Ward and Activision. Oh, we had more yeah. and more people left. Last time I checked, we we're above 13 key people leaving at Infinity Ward. And this isn't, this just isn't, this just isn't, this just doesn't include programmers, um, code monkeys. This is ser- this is serious lead designers, lead software engineers. And let's just run through the names. The co-founders, Vince Zampella, Jason West, lead designer, Todd Alderman, lead software engineer, France, uh, Francesco Gelati, John Shiring, Bruce Ferretz, Mackie McCandlish. Really good last names with these people, but also significant employees that have left the company, including those beneath them. So we have a lot of people now getting their own opinions out on it, and some not even related to the company. Let's start with Insomniac, um, developers of Ratchet and & Clank and Resistance. Uh, we have a quote from them saying, I have some friends in Infinity Ward, and I can't tell you how happy I was to be at Insomniac when I heard the news. I was totally horrified for my friends and called every one of them asking what the hell was going on. It really reiterated to me how good it is to be working at a wholly independent developer where we call the shots. So dig at Activision here. And, of course, that just continues across the board. We have insiders just saying that IW is now dead completely. Don't even think about it. It's going to completely fall apart. And finally, it's taken a while. We have Activision commenting on the situation. And basically, I'm not going to read you the six paragraphs of quotes I have on here, but it's saying that we have um, Activision's telling us that they have a very strong interim leadership in place, very strong intern, intern program, and based on the pre- company's previous success at the, um, at the market, at the, at the sales rack, it's not going to be hard to fill these positions. So that's Activision's case. We have everyone across the industry commenting on it. So let's get the EG opinion on it from you guys what do you make of this at this point? It is just blown. It is the topic of the day. It hasn't left. It's just a mess. I, I agree. It, it, to me, it sounds like Infinity Ward has died. You know, based on everything that I've read, and uh, you know, it, it's hard to come back from from losses like that. You know, and it's also hard to come back from from um, not just losses in personnel, but losses in, in um, PR as well. The amount of bad press that they've gotten, that Activision has gotten from this whole ordeal, it's going to be tough for them to, to re, you know, revive from that. Mm. I mean, I think Activision is above, above and beyond bad press at, at this point because how, you know, how many people over the past three, four years haven't been saying that Activision is evil? Uh, and, you know... Nothing's happened. Their sales have gone up, you know, and all that. Uh, most people who play Call of Duty don't know about the development team. Uh, probably, you know, know of the Infinity War name only. And as long as that remains, then you know, all their games will sell. I think. Um, but I think, you know, the the, the point you made, where where I think that it's going to be easy to fill the the shoes of these guys and and you know get new employees. Uh, not the same quality. I think. I, I think anyone with you know a, a, a reputation in the industry for you know good quality games is going to shy away from Infinity Ward from you know for a good few years forward just because it's just a lack of respect. I think to to join mm. the company. Yeah, would it be like tap dancing on somebody's grave in a situation yeah. like that? You know. So I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I I agree with you that Activision's 
pretty big, and it's going to take a lot to get a niche in them. But um, like you said, a lot of people have been saying it, but more importantly, a lot of people have been thinking about it. This isn't – it doesn't have to be consumers at this point. We have major PR people against Activision. We have major developers, designers against Activision. And while they're not exactly vocal getting the word out to consumers, they are very – important in industry inside relationships so as long as this continues to happen and we have this bad press it's going to continue infecting uh, the behind the scenes people and that's really going to affect that division and we might not even see it on the consumer side but there i can definitely i can definitely say that division's taking a hit in some respect here are they going to be able to fill the shoes sure are you going to have people that's going to be um hesitant to work there sure but you're going to get the bottom line and the bottom line is going to be satisfied here it's it's just a question of exactly how much is the basic consumer going to know what's had to happen with Activision. My worry, my main worry with this is when the next Call of Duty game comes out from Infinity Ward, whatever mm-hmm. their status will be in the future, uh, and, you know, they have all these new lead designers and, you know, artists and all that stuff replacing these guys that will eventually leave, I think a lot more people are going to leave. This isn't over at all. Um then, you know, we'll... I mean, I think Infinity Ward ran their own boat, more or less, in terms of deciding what to do in their games. If Activision had, you know, uh, had the power, then certainly the white Russian, or no Russian scene in, in Call of Duty One Warfare 2 wouldn't be there. Um, so, you know, can Activision, you know, distinguish a good game from a bad one? I'm not sure, so sure they can, especially not a really mm. great game from a, a Call of Duty worthy game from a, from a you know bad one. Um, so you know uh, when these guys make this next Call of Duty game and present it to Activision, are they going to know that we aren't going to like it as much as Modern Warfare 2? I mean, uh-huh. if, if that's the case, you know. I definitely agree with that, and I definitely think it's going to be different. I'm not exactly sure if it's going to be comparable, because it's not just losing people, and it's not just losing the design people. Games can come back from that, games have, and games will. It's the fact that these people have been with the franchise since its beginning. Not necessarily the beginning of the Call of Duty, but definitely since the Modern Warfare arc. So this is going to, there's going to be a palatable difference when this, uh, when this arc is going to buy, try to be continued with completely new people at the helm. So there's definitely going to be um, some sort of uh, change to the franchise that may not be noticeable to Activision, like you said. And I'm not exactly sure how it's going to affect the sales, but I'm interested to see where it's going to go from here, especially since the uh, franchise is now going into active action-adventure on one side. Yeah, that's an interesting push, actually. Uh, I think uh, one last thing. I mean, these these guys, these two co-founders, uh, they created two highly successful franchises. They are the same guys who created uh, Medal of Honor and Call of Duty. And you know, they something. I, we're not still not completely sure what exactly got them fired. Uh, there's a lot of talk about insubordination, and you know. Uh, you know, talking behind, you know, planning behind Activision's back and all that stuff. But, mm-hmm. I mean, they must have done something really bad, or Activision at least thinks they they did something really bad to fire these two titans in the industry. It just mm-hmm. boggles my mind still, even after a True. month of this going on. So, I mean, it, I think what we're re- when we're really going to start to see what's going to happen with these two companies, Respawn, of course, now being the, the home of Zempel and West, is what happens with these court um, lawsuits that have been going back and forth here. We've heard 
Like, he's doing this, they're countersuing, they're countersuing the countersue. So, but we haven't heard anything beyond the initial filing of the court documents. So until we see what's going to um, happen with that, we can definitely be have more accurate predictions to how it's going to affect the companies. But everything is, a, a lot of it's up in the air at this point, considering mm. how much we don't know. I completely agree with Moss on that. Uh, Randy, you've been kind of quiet, though. Where do you where do you fit in on this? Ah, uh, I, I fit in the the boat where I, I'm thinking that these two guys owe a lot to World War II. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think this is just one of those situations where only time will tell. Mm. You know, we're we're gonna we will probably learn a little bit more about it um, as time goes on, much like how we we learned about uh, you know that guy who runs Giant Bomb about his, about his termination and stuff like that. So. You know, time will tell. That's all I gotta say. That's Jeff Jeff Gershman just yeah to, Jeff, Jeff Gershman, yeah. which uh, you know, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, okay. Well, it's about Jeff Gershman. I I just don't like the guy. Like I, I know he is someone bowling. I'm I'm sorry. I'm fixing something on my desk at the moment. Um, I don't like the guy like at all. I I'm. Um, I I know that that what GameSpot fired him over was completely shitty, but from what I've seen of him and his site and everything, I, I just don't like his personality. You know, he seems like a tough guy to work with. I think uh, I mean if you read the article he was, or the review he was fired over, I did. The general the general uh, and you know the old and the new one. The general you know uh, flow of it is much better in the new one. <laughs> uh, so I mean, he's writing. I'm. I am guessing there's a reason they mostly do video stuff now. Uh, it's just I, I like the site. I, I do kind of like the personalities. Not not his personality, but a few of the other guys. Uh, so at Giant Bomb, you mean? Yeah, at Giant Bomb. Uh, I think uh, Brad Shoemaker for one is is a really awesome uh, personality. Cool. So, yeah. But anyway, that's a, that's a totally different uh, you know uh, controversy. So you know, like I said, time will yeah. tell. You know about Infinity Ward. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed that whatever they make next is going to be fantastic. Because I have no idea what happened and where we got to where we were when we were talking about time bomb. <laughs> I'm just going to nod my head, even though you can't see me, and I'm going to move on to our final point, which is always something we love to talk about. Roger Ebert. E- the famous movie critic and possibly more famous in the game community for saying that video games will never be art. So um, a lot of controversy when he originally said it, and he has since elaborated his uh, claim on the issue after Kelly Santiago from that game company, the developer of Flower, made a speech uh, recently. So he elaborated saying, perhaps it is foolish of me to say never because never is a long, long time. Let me just say that no video gamer now now living will survive long enough to experience the medium as an art form. One obvious difference between art and games is that you can win a game. It has rules, points, objectives, and an outcome. Santiago may cite an immersive game without points or rules, but I would say that it ceases to be a game and becomes a representation of a story, a novel, a play, a dance, a film, etc. Those are things you cannot win, you can only experience them. So basically what, um, what Roger Ebert says is that a game is too defined an experience to be considered art as other things are. And that, of course, is has just started a whole new wave of controversy in the wake of that announcement. So what do you guys think? I think that Roger Ebert uh, uh, respectfully knows movies, but he doesn't know video games. And, and I think he should keep his nose in his own things. You know, much like I, I'm not going to come out and say that, uh, 
you know, Toyota makes terrible cars or Ford makes terrible cars and, and you know, make a, a huge public speech about it. That's that's about it. He's he's an old, crazy man. Not that I have anything against old men, you know. But, uh, you know, us being elder geek and everything. But uh, he is definitely out of his element, much like Donnie from, you know, The Big Lebowski. He's like a child who wandered into a, you know. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, I agree. Uh, I read his article or his blog post, and uh, he talks about these games uh, from the the. Uh, basically, he talks about what Kelly Santiago, you know, talked about at her TED presentation, where she, you know, uh, said that games were art, and uh, and he he didn't actually try these games. She mentioned Braid and Flower uh, specifically, uh, and uh, he didn't actually try these games. He just said, you know, talked about the point she made and tried to, you know, counterpoint, uh, counterpoint, yeah, and <laughs> just. Play the game, please. Just before you do anything, play the game. I don't care if you're not into games. At least try it and give it a chance. Um, more than that, I do think he has a point. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of uh, game designers uh, as well have come out and say that they don't think that their games uh, is art, uh, even though a lot of people think that their games is art. Uh, for example, uh, Kojima. Um, and and you know uh, one of the one of the reasons is that you know people say that a car can't be art because a car has a function, and it's a valid point uh, based on our current understanding of art. But I do think we need to change that understanding because games are immersive and emotional, and if that's not art, then that's better than art, and we should elevate ourselves ourselves above it. Uh, you know, it's it's you know. All art is emotional and or provoke ideals and 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 you know uh, basically um, are meant to communicate the the artist's uh, ideals and and perspectives and games are that too but they're also practical and and interactive and some have points some don't but I think you know if we don't allow games to fit into the art category then I think in the next hundred years art is going to be dead. Because games are taking over, and not literally dead, but it's not going to have the same in- impact on the wall it has now. There you have it. Yeah, absolutely. Moss with his soapbox, man. Always, yeah. always a pleasure. I think he made some really good points. I think until we define, if we, uh, I don't think we can define art. And I think as long as we attach these subjective and individually unique parameters to art, we're circling a drain of sorts when inter- when coming into adding things into our perspective on art. And I think uh, a main point that is, is these people are coming from the perspective of an observer, which is a hazardous perspective when approaching a medium that is meant to be played. So I think it's just also, that simple. I can, I mean, I know we're supposed to end soon, so I'll just drop in one uh, last, uh, last opinion. The, this guy is an art critic, right? He obviously thinks of movies as art, and he's a movie critic, uh, to me, the idea that you can, you know, you can be a professional art critic seems uh, counterintuitive to the idea of art. Uh, to me, art is very much subjective. Uh, art invokes emotions uh, based on personal experience and the like. And that you can criticize something uh, like it's some sort of, uh, uh, you know, um, like it's not subjective at all. 
is is just beyond me, especially when you're when you're talking about art. And and I think you know he should really look at look at his own profession before he starts, you know, you know, defining art in the strict sense. Ouch. Yeah. He, Mont- hey, that's what happens when you question games, guys. Everyone out there, Roger Ebert, anyone else that wants to question, <laughs> Moss will come after you. He will come to your house. He will come to where you work. He will come to you, man. Be prepared to throw down because Moss is there. Moss is yeah. there to throw down, man. <laughs> okay, I think that's it for the news this week. Um, I don't think we can end on a, on a better note than that. So I'll give it to Randy to um, close us out. All right. Thanks, everybody, uh, for listening. Once again, this was issue number 48. Uh, as always, you can hear this uh, radio or yeah, this radio broadcast. You can hear this uh, podcast on 8bitx.com. And um, be sure to pay attention to Mots' continuing story or uh, coverage of motion gaming. Or it, I guess we should rename those to the future of motion gaming. Because um, as he talks about uh, Natal, uh, Move, um, the Wii, where it is going, and, you know, all, all the software and hardware that's going to be coming with that. Um, I think that's about it, everybody. Um, have a good week. Say goodbye, fellas. Goodbye, fellas. Yahoo! You're all clear, kid!